From the Salisbury Center Studios in Manassas, Virginia, it's Wild Style Radio. Hey, welcome back to the Stand Up and Shout Rock Show with Whisk and Kev. Look, baby, we made it back. We did make we it, made back. it back with yes. Jimmy Haha. Yes. We're, uh, What's come- up? What's up? <laughs> we'll bring him in now. All right. So July 22nd, we talked about it earlier in the show. We have the Local Palooza 2 show here at the Salisbury Center in Manassas, Virginia. And we're excited to have Jimmy Haha joining us on the show. Vocalist and guitar player of Jimmy's Chicken Shack, who will be headlining the Local Palooza 2 show. Welcome. How you guys doing? Doing great, man. It's great to see her. I'm a. I gotta say, I'm thrilled. I'm a lifelong fan. Um, like I don't. You don't have the video. I've met you multiple times, but I'm sure you've met many people multiple times over multiple years at multiple shows. Not even just Jimmy Chicken Shack shows, but Jarfly shows as well. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're excited. We wanted to talk a little bit about the upcoming show. Uh, the new album that came out a little bit ago and uh, just kind of catching up with what's new with Jimmy's Chicken Shack. Awesome. You want to kick us off with? I was going to say, oh, 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 oh I, thought, I thought you were kicking that to Jimmy. No, no. <laughs> that was me. That was my fumble. All right. So, yeah. So, um, so I guess, you know, kind of kicking back, Jimmy, there's, there's several things, like I said, I'm a big fan. And one of the things that I appreciated, um, I'm going to kick, kind of kick back, not necessarily getting into this show yet, but I wanted to ask you, um, we know we're big into live music, both Kevin and I, and uh, we just can't emphasize the importance of live music just in general. And I remember you were one of the first people right out of the gate when COVID closures happened and everything shut down, um, your live stream shows that you were doing, you know, from your home. I was a, you know, as a regular watcher of those, they were fantastic shows. How did that feel for you on your end? And how does that feel coming out of it? Um, yeah, at first it was really, uh, it was uh, weirdly, um, it made me nervous in a, in a way. <laughs> it was funny because, you know, I, I'd lost my, obviously all gigs had stopped, my magazine stopped. And, uh, but I saw my friend Joey Harkham uh, posted up something that he was going to be doing a live stream. And then he posted up a thing for, um, for, for tips. And I was like, well, that's, that's a smart idea. Might as well give this a shot. I, I had, I had prior, I had said I would never go live on, on Facebook. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I had to go uh, against my, my word and go live on Facebook, but it was weird. I, I, you know, I set everything up. Um, and yeah, it was glitchy and I didn't know what I was doing, but, I, I think I did an hour and a half the first time, but it was, uh, I think the quite a, quite a few times for the, the you know, the, at the start of it, I was pretty nervous doing it, be, which was odd because I'm just sitting in my house on a couch and in front of a camera. Uh-huh. So, I don't get nervous playing before shows, but for some reason, I guess maybe it was the technology or something, but you know, it became something I really looked forward to every week, every Wednesday. It was really cool to, it was like I was having a hangout with a bunch of friends and it, it turned into something that actually helped me get through the whole thing because every week I had one thing that I could look forward to and kind of work towards. And, and, you know, I think I did 70 of them. Total. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. It was a lot of fun, man. It really, it, it was a blast. And yeah. were those just you performing or was the whole band with you or did you do it kind of zoom esque with everyone in different locations? So I did it. For, uh, I I did seventy couch concerts in my living room, basically by myself. 
uh, eventually we did go up to my, my drummer Jerome has a studio in Baltimore and we would all go up there and we set up different cameras in different parts of the studio and had, you know, basically four windows of us playing live. And that was a lot of fun. And those sounded really good because we were dialed in through the studio. So basically it was like we were recording a live record every time we did it. I think we, I can't remember how many we did, but I'd say we probably did five or six of those, maybe even more, but those were a lot of fun as well. We got, I remember seeing there were, there were family members, Jimmy, that would walk through there. Were, I remember there was like those occasions, you know, in the beginning that there were, yeah, yeah. You, you got the, the full home experience, you know, several yeah, times. My daughter, my dog, or my wife would, would be walking through at some point. Uh, we, <laughs> I live in a pretty small house. Uh, it's only like a thousand square feet. And uh, so, you know, I was in the main room and basically if anybody needed anything, they they squeeze through. <laughs> and so, how does it feel coming out of that? You know, like you no, know, because again, like I, I think anybody that's that's participating right now in this conversation in this show loves live music, and I, I can think I'm very selfishly thinking my own feelings. I'm very thankful, like you were, to have the couch experience because that was a continuation of it as best you can under the the circumstances. But then, you know, things kind of open back up again. And how did that feel for you? Well, you know, it was just a relief. It was, it was cool. I mean, uh, you know, I, 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 it was kind of slow how everything started. And, you know, I, I had been getting out and riding my bike or going paddling and fishing. I, I live on a small creek uh, in Annapolis. So, I, I, you know, I was always trying to get out and move around and do stuff. And But as, as everything started to open back up, we started to start play gigs again. It, it was just like, you know, it felt, it, it always felt weird because it, you know, it was, it was such a slow progression, but obviously now things are back to normal and it's, you know, it, it it's wild to think that it was almost a period of about, you know, two years that, that all that happened. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and the, the things that bands were doing, you know, we saw kicks twice in a, at a drive-in Yeah. because that was the but best way we yes. could get to live music or what, what was allowed at the time. So all yeah. Interesting. So this, this year is a big year for the band. It's your 30th anniversary. So, uh, yeah. um, and you guys have been gigging around recording, doing a lot of stuff on the East coast. Um, and obviously had some success earlier on in the, the mid to late nineties. Um, talk a little bit about your feelings, you know, and the longevity that you guys have had as a group. Yeah, I mean it's it's been interesting. <laughs> Thirty years, it doesn't. It, it's odd to even say it, you know, because it's a few lifetimes. But uh, you know, I mean, I think you know when we started out in '93, it was just it was a different time, obviously, and it was a it was a wild time, and the music scene was was cool. The the music industry itself was intact <laughs> at the point at that point, and um, it was just a cool time to be coming up. You know, I'd been in a band for five years. Uh, prior to that, um, called Ten Times Big, right. starting in like '87, and uh, so it was it was cool to, you know, kind of start the band and and start the record label, file records, and and just, you know, I mean, I'd go and go to the office depot and make flyers on the color copiers, and we'd print up our own tickets and kind of book our own shows and play every possible show we could, and 
you know, once, once we got signed, it was, it was kind of like the music industry was really hitting at that point. It was like 96, 97, when 97, when the record came out. And, uh, so yeah, it was, it was wild. And I mean, obviously we've gone through quite a few different musicians at, at this point. Um, you know, our drummer Jerome's been with us for 20 years. Our, our, uh, bass player Christian's been with us for like 18 years. And, um, and then we kind of gone through different guitar players. And right now we're, we're kind of in a odd period of flux where our, our guitar player Island who played on our latest record, um, He's out with uh, touring with Candlebox right now. That's their last tour, and then he's out in California scoring some films for like six months to a year. So the guitar player before him, Matt Jones, he um, he left our band to be with Cowboy Mouse for you know eleven years. Um, he, during COVID, he kind of reevaluated things and ended up leaving the band. And we were, once we made this record, which we recorded it you know two years ago, basically this summer. Um, we were like, we we could probably use another musician for some of this stuff, and and I was like, why don't we see if Matt wants to play with us again? And and he would fill in once in a while if Island had to go on tour with uh with Candlebox, and so Matt was down with it, and and now actually uh, filling in for Island as well. So Matt's pretty much in the band now, and so we were going four piece or five piece. Now uh, Brian Ewald, who has been in Jar Flies with me for well over twenty years, uh, he's I asked him if he would want to do some gigs and he, so he's been playing some shows with us. So it's been, it's, it's a weird period, but it's been really fun. And, and honestly, it's my favorite time playing in a band. Oh, cool. So. Very awesome. Cool. Yeah. So we noticed, you know, we, we, we were uh, listening to the new album, fans of the new album seconds, you know, it's been released only on Bandcamp, And so we, yeah. we really kind of noticed that approach and you're mentioning like the evolution really of, the music industry, not only with Jimmy's Chicken Shack over the last 30 years, but the music industry itself over 30 years. And so um, we're kind of curious as, in terms of your decision to only release it there as opposed to other streaming services. What was the decision making for you with that? So, you know, I mean, we've, we've obviously released a few records in, in different ways, you know. And so we, we did, we printed um, LPs. We, so we have vinyl, we have CDs, and we sell them at shows. But when it came to streaming, it's like, a lot of times people will put a whole album out and, and it's just done. You put, if you upload your whole album to, to, um, you know, Spotify or whatever platforms you do, it's, it's out there and then it's done and it's sure everybody can stream it, but you know, it's basically just giving your music away. And, you know, I'm used to a, a longer cycle of, of, of record trying to make it kind of have a longer life. And Bandcamp is the best way to actually get paid for your records, which, <laughs> which concept because most of the time, you know, you're not getting paid for your album. You you make it, and it's basically you give it away at this point. Sure. So sure. We, we decided, you know, what we were going to do is, you know, offer it up on Bandcamp, and, and we did a crowdfunding thing, so all those people ended up getting it, and then we're doing single to single. So basically we're, we're paying for our own radio promotion. Uh, we put out uh, the song Simple Concept first, and then we're – Pretty soon, I think we're putting out a song Throwing Caution, and uh, we're actually going to make a video of it tomorrow at, at UMBC. Our bass player is a professor up there. He, he uh, teaches video production. So, you know, we just thought this it would be, you know, a, a way to to actually help kind of keep doing what we're doing. So, sure. if, you know, if we sell a 
the download of our record for 20 bucks, you know, it took us 12 years to make the record. So it's like, uh, you know, let's, let's kind of try to get paid for it in one way or another. <laughs> and then we continue to promote it and stuff like that. So it, it's really just a choice of, you know, as, as opposed to giving something away and having it be a blink. Um, I don't, I don't know if you know this statistic. My manager's been in the industry since the 70s. And he said in the 70s, 60,000 albums came out a year, um, it pretty much, in like, you know, rock and roll and stuff. And right now, currently, there's over 100,000 songs that were uploaded to Spotify today. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so, right. you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's changed a bit. So, yeah, you know, sure. we just... We, this would be a way to have give give it a little more life, hopefully. Mm -hmm. So, talk a little bit about that. You know, coming from the artist perspective, because I think a lot of people have a misconception <laughs> that you know you can you pay for your subscription to Spotify or Apple Music, what have you, and that that money is getting back to the artist in some way, shape, or form in the form of royalties. But as you're saying, you know, if you upload your album is there anything that comes back to you through those streaming sources or is that just the end of it at that point? I mean, it's pretty much the end of it. You, know, you can have one song get millions of downloads and you're going to make hardly anything. I mean, it's, it's fractions of a cent every time somebody streams something. Yeah. You know, I, I love that people listen to things, but you know, I also, you know, it helps to try to make a living and we all sure. do different things that make a living. So, you know, for years I played music and I was able to make a living, you know, playing music just basically through gigs and all of that. And, but you know, when you would sell a record, there was a certain amount of royalties you would get. If you got airplayed, there was a certain amount of royalties you would get and it would help you exist. I mean, it never, I never got rich from it, but it was, it was nice to, uh, you know, have an avenue where you could get paid for the decades of work you put into something. And, uh, so, you know, it's just, it's just a, a change. I mean, it, it, the bottom line is no matter what you do in life, there's always going to be some kind of variable that changes. And, you know, you can get angry about it or you can just adapt and figure out how to approach it and, and just deal with it. And so, you know, everybody deals with it in different ways. But right now it's, it's, you know, it's a YouTube kind of world or a TikTok world. And, and, you know, we never really have been that kind of a thing We're we're a live band. So, you know, we just tried to figure out how 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 we could we could best serve, you know, ourselves with this record, um, and try to get it out there, but also have it so we could generate some some more kind of just life to it, you know. So, but we're still in the middle of seeing if it's if it's the correct approach. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> sure, and and obviously, you know over the course of the band's history, you released a couple of albums initially that you kind of self-produced and, and released. Then you got signed yep. to Elton John's label, a couple of different subsidiaries that, that were part of those next two albums. And then, you know, went back to self-producing with the way technology's evolved. Is it from your perspective, is it easier these days to, to create the music, get it out there or, you know, back in, you know, in the nineties, and in the 80s, you know, when we were getting into music, it was, you know, we want to get signed to a label, you know, we want to get on MTV, you know, we want to get that promotion that way. Is it looking back over the course of your career, is there one of those avenues that you experienced better than the other? Or is it easier now with the way that 
recording Research technology and, and enhancements have come along to, to create the music and get it out there. Yeah, I guess there's no, like, it, it's not like a single-sided thing. There's a yin and the yang, you know? It's like, in the night, I mean, I guess we just got used to a certain way of doing things. Um, basically, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, you know, we, we, we were, you were hitting the street with on your feet. We would go and flyer clubs on nights we weren't playing, you know, go physically flyer them about the shows that we were playing. And, you know, you're basically calling up clubs and sending, mailing them uh, promo kits. And then you're driving around with a paper map trying to find the, find the <laughs> venues. And then obviously, you know, now everything's completely different. And it's, you know, there, there was record labels, like getting signed to a record label was like the golden chalice. It was like the Holy grail. If you could get signed, you know, and in some instances that was a really good situation for people. And some, it wasn't some, it was just kind of middle of the road for us. You know, it, it ended up being a pretty good situation, but it wasn't great. You know, we had to, because right at that point, uh, once the, once our second record came out, that's when Napster really hit hard and kind of just devalued everything that we had been working for. And, you know, every, basically everything was free for everybody, at least in our genre of music. I mean, you know, if you think about how Napster came about, you know, it was the kids who had really high speed connections that were able to grab free music. And those were college age kids who liked alternative rock music. You know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a ton of like, you know, people out in the in rural areas that like country music or young kids who like pop. And so those, those things like basically blew up in, in the charts and became bigger selling things because you had to literally buy them. Whereas the alternative music and rock music became pretty much free to everybody. And, and billboard literally took the rock chart out of the magazine because it just didn't equate anymore. So, you know, it was interesting to watch all of that unfold. And now, you know, you can have a studio in your laptop or even in your phone. So I think recording is, you know, probably become easier in a way. doesn't mean it's always good recording. Um, but for me, I've kept it pretty much the same. I've always done. I always write songs on the acoustic guitar and a piece of paper and write out lyrics. And, and I like to, well, I don't know if I like to, but I, I go to a studio to record them. I've never been, a you know, huge fan of going and recording things, but this last experience was a fantastic one. And, but I, I kind of stuck with that old school vibe of things. And, you know, I guess doing the live streams was embracing some, obviously some new technology for me and, and a new approach to things. And so I, I mean, we're still, I, I think it's always just a new frontier, no matter what with, with, you know, music and, and being a, in the creative world, it's always, something's always going to change and you just got to figure it out and adapt, you know? Cool. Very good. Do you have like to support seconds, your new album that's out? Do you have a, a, a like a, a structured approach toward towards touring that you're considering? And uh, in terms of, I guess, supporting it in a live environment, what do you, what are your thoughts well, towards that? Yeah. I mean, so we're playing shows. We have a, you know, we have a booking agent and, and uh, we're, booking shows here and there what we did decide to do is you know we raised some money through crowdfunding we fulfilled all the stuff that we had to do um like the perks that you get when you crowdfund something uh, but then we decided to hire a radio promotion because so there's a lot of ways that people get music right now um but rock the rock genre is the only one where people find most of their new music 
through radio still. So, you know, a lot of these other genres, they find them through streaming or different platforms. And um, so it's rock music. The top three ways that people find new music is either through radio or, or listen to music. Is it through radio, CDs, and then LPs? And streaming isn't even necessarily one of them for rock music. So, you know, we kind of are figured, let's let's go ahead and promote some stuff to radio, but we're, we don't have enough money to, like, make something chart. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We're not trying to get within the top ten of any said chart in radio, but we are hitting markets that we used to, you know, do really well in, and, and some of those older radio stations that are still open, <laughs> you know, we send it to them, and, and the guy, will, our radio promoter, will try to, get him to add a record and and you know we're hoping that maybe that'll you know spur some some or reignite some more interest in those markets and we're hitting them so like we're flying out to uh st louis to play with the urge and uh and uh stabbing westward this summer which is really cool we'll you know we're doing shows in the midwest um down south you know just in in areas that they've added our you know, single on the radio. And so I think it remains to be seen if our approach is going to work or not. (laughs) Sure. And uh, so, and obviously, you know, when you guys first had some, some success off of the, uh, the pushing the salmonella envelope and, and uh, bring your own stereo, you had MTV there to help got some airplay on MTV, which, was great at the time because I, you know, a lot of musicians were able to market themselves and get that out there in, in the visual format. And MTV yep. is very far from, uh, from what it is, what it was now. So talk a little bit about that experience and, and having and creating music videos, which were pretty highly produced back then, but talk a little bit about that experience for you guys. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, in the eighties when I was in high school, I graduated in 86, but I mean, MTV was the thing. I mean, you know, ever since I was a freshman in high school, it's like, that's where people found their new music. And it was a game changer. It was a whole different world. And so getting on MTV was one of those other kind of, you know, chalices that you wanted, one of those trophies you wanted to get on MTV. So our video um, was uh, the first... um, uh, digital video on MTV, which was interesting. <laughs> um, huh. Yeah, and we're and actually then, bringing that up on yeah, yeah. on the screen for the the folks watching the the live broadcast. Yeah. So, so everything to, at that point was still made uh, produced on film, and so we did. We had the first digital video ever aired on MTV, which is kind of <laughs> cool. Um, and which was really interesting because our manager played drums on the song that was the very first video on MTV, which was Video uh, video Killer. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, so then, you know, our, our other, then we had a couple videos for the first album. Obviously, it helped us. I mean, it helped us everywhere. It helped us not just, you know, in, in the United States, but it helped us. We were on MTV Europe and, you know, over in Australia and, and Asia. I mean, you know, it was a total game changer and it, and it got us out in front of millions and millions and millions of people. So that was, a, it was a, a amazing thing. I mean, now it's, I don't even, it's like MTV doesn't even exist, but you know, it was, it was really cool to, to finally get on there and have that kind of exposure. And, you know, they had huge radio festivals back in the day and HF festival and, you know, all these massive radio festivals. It, 
it was a it was an it, it was a great time and it was it was wild to watch it all kind of I don't know just kind of erode. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that said, is there anything any new music that you're liking right now that you're listening to? Uh, you know, I don't I don't really listen to a lot of music. It's funny by my so my stereo in my car uh it, it cuts in and out. So I drive around and literally sing whatever was the last song I heard in my head. <laughs> the only, the only time I, I really listen to music is like when I'm riding my bike and I'll, I'll listen to albums. But I tend to listen to albums that I like a lot, you know, but um, I like, I guess I, as far as new bands go, that especially local bands like Turnstile uh, mm-hmm. from Baltimore, they're phenomenal and I uh, love their energy and, they're killing it and you know there's a lot of bands around annapolis that are fantastic that i love listening to like pressing strings is one of them that just absolutely love scribe um so but i yeah it's funny i'll drive around in my car and i i'm just hearing what the last thing i heard was and sometimes it's a jingle from a tv commercial and it's just (laughs) thing PK, have it your way. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> <laughs> I just turn on my radio for a second and wash this stuff out of my brain? But <laughs> I, I, you know, it's it's funny. I don't like seek it out. But I, I guess the last two concerts I, I actually paid to go to, I saw Bruce Hornsby, uh, and it was unbelievable. Uh-huh. Blew my. And I, I saw him when he first came out. And then also I saw uh, Doe the Wet Sprocket, uh-huh. who were great. Yeah. They were just so, up in Annapolis. They were just up your way. Yep. Yeah. Yep, yeah. exactly. So there was, those were the last two shows I, I caught, and it was really fun. Excellent. Yeah, and, and so, you know, your music has, you can see a lot of different influences and kind of roots in into the music that you play. Talk a little bit about what influenced you as you were growing up or getting into music and sort of, has driven everything that you've produced. Yeah. I mean, when I was young, I, I, I would say it's the bands that started with B it's like, I, I, at first it was the beach boys and the Beatles. And then it was, and then black Sabbath, you know, when I was like 12 and then, uh, Bob Marley, when I was in, a, <laughs> got into high school and then bad brains. So it's like <laughs> bands to start with B, but, but I feel like that encompasses all of our music. If you took the beach boys, the Beatles, Bob Marley, Bad Brains, and uh, Black Sabbath, and kind of squashed them all together. That that sounds like kind of a, what, what our music is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Never agree. got past that section in the record store. You just went right for the B aisle. Yeah. <laughs> all the other letters. Yeah, and then, you know, in the 80s, I, I worked at uh, Paul Reed Smith Guitars when it was a really small factory, and there was a handful of people working there. We would we'd listen to HFS, which was a tiny station back then, and, yeah. and they, oh, yeah. they would play coolest stuff you know they they'd play the grateful dead and then they play the Cro-Mag. you know yeah, it's like right. they would play nick lowe and then they would play you know tom waits and then they would play you know tears for fears and and <laughs> yeah so it was it was cool to to be exposed to a bunch of different stuff especially the musicians that worked there exposed me to a ton of stuff when i was like 19 and but I was, you know, I went through classic, when I was young, I was into classic rock and fusion and, you know, jazz type stuff. And I mean, my favorite band in the world is Steely Dan. So uh-huh. I don't know what that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nice. 
So um, in terms of uh, obviously folks want to check out the new record, they can go to Bandcamp and take a listen to it, buy it. Um, yeah. Talk about how, I know you have a Facebook page. Um, yeah. Are there other avenues for people that want to check out an upcoming show other than coming to the Salisbury Center on July the 22nd? How can they find out what's going on with Jimmy's Chicken Shack? Yeah, I mean, if they find our page on Facebook or Instagram, I'll, I'll usually you know, post up posters and stuff like that You know, well before the shows happen. Um, I try to keep the calendar updated as much as I can, but I'm busy you know, doing a bunch of other things. Um, and then we have a YouTube channel that you can search, Jimmy's Chicken Shack, and we have a, we've done two videos so far. We did one for the first song, Seconds, which is like a lyric video that I did with a friend of mine actually i wrote uh i've written songs with for jarflies i wrote let's get flat um on uh bring your own stereo with him uh old high school friend and uh we did it in his garage on his chalkboard and we did a time lapse video and then we did uh another video in uh in, with our bass player christian up in umbc in the studio there for simple concepts so yeah t- tomorrow we're gonna pop out another video and hopefully it'll be up in a few weeks and and that'll be for throwing caution. So that's all the stuff on YouTube. We also have a bunch of live videos up. We post up live stuff, you know, on there. So we're, we're, we're on the interwebs. <laughs> <laughs> so Jimmy, I got to ask you this because this is, this is really coming on behalf of my 15 uh, year old stepson. who was, I'm wearing a vintage Jimmy's chicken shack shirt from the nineties. I mean, you're, you don't have the video, so you can't see it, but are you, first of all, he's fasting with the artwork on the shirt. So did you do that artwork? You know, I understand that you, I know that you do a lot of art and yep. in different ways, different forms. This is the Jimmy's chicken shack Pez dispenser. It's the Pez logo that you have. So yeah, you know. so that, that was a sketch I did. And I mean, we had a, we must've had 20 different shirts back in the nineties. So yeah, that was one of the shirts that I drew. Um, you know, a bunch of them, I would have an idea and I have my, my buddy, uh, you know, do the, do it on his computer because I didn't really have a computer or do computer art back then. But uh, but yeah, that was one of my favorite ones. That was I did that sketch on a on like a piece of cardboard and and sent it to him and he he turned it into a shirt. So <laughs> and then the second part of that question, which he's even more fascinated with, is there's a Jimmy's Chicken Shack logo in the armpit of the shirt. So oh, how did you how did you come up with that idea to logo the armpit of a shirt? Well, so that's actually uh, it's a logo of the people that printed it. It's a husband and wife team named Leo and Susan, uh, shop treatment screen printing. Gotcha. And, uh, and basically, uh, it, it, they, I, I was like, oh, why don't you, uh, why don't you just, uh, do a, a little logo? So this way people, you, you get to promote your stuff because I've always worked on the bar so our first shirt we got them to do we, they printed for free and I paid them back later and I was like well why don't you promote yourselves by maybe doing a little logo and I was like put it under the arm or something that'd be a kind of a cool thing and so <laughs> it's just the same thing but all the you know so if you have if you ever see an old shirt and somebody lifts up their armpit and they there's a little a picture of two people holding up a screen yes. from screen print that, that that would you know that that's an old original shirt. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I mean, I guess you know you, people throw up the horns at the show, right? So those arms are raised. It's an easy logo to see then at that point. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. That was my theory. I, I didn't, you know, I just kind of threw that out there, but I don't know if that was right or wrong. But uh, you still see it either way, right? Yeah, I didn't even think about that. If people are holding it up, I'm of like, course, hey, <laughs> <laughs> they'll go. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> right. <laughs> 
Yeah, so, okay. and then the other thing, Jimmy, I was thinking, you know, I was thinking back and I was listening back, um, you know, the, your first few albums and Kevin and I almost got into, we talk about different news topics and we just came across um, an article from Loudwire and they were really kind of like hammering on recurring lyrical themes in rock music. And cliches, cliched themes, you know what I mean? Right. Overdone themes. And, and and one theme that like, you know, kind of struck on when listening in your first two albums, Pushing Salmon Envelope and um, Bring Your Own Stereo, there's a lot of childhood references and not in like this deep Freudian childhood, you know, what was deep in your thoughts in that way. But, you know, like um, I think just common experiences that we've all had growing up, like obviously the, the most obvious to me is, is bus driver, you know, and riding the bus and, Moving but there's references in multiple songs in that way for you. you what do you think brought those into your lyrics? You know, the, that really kind of that leaning on that, which I think a lot of listeners can also relate to and it makes them successful lyrically. Yeah. I, you know, honestly, I don't know if it's ever been an intentional thing. I mean, like for school bus, we were, we were playing the song, we were writing the song, and because uh, our bass player, Che, had come up with that initial riff, and we were writing it, and I, was always, I would always say, like, what does it sound like to you is happening here? You know, if I was <laughs> one thing about, and somebody might have said, oh, it sounds like a big truck or a school bus, and I was like, all right, perfect, got it. And then I would just kind of go, and same thing with Spiderweb, you know? It's yes. Like, it sounded like a spider was walking, and so it was like, all right, well, let's take this, and figure out, okay, Spiderweb, well, that, instead of it just being, you know, singing about a spider, how about a, this, there was a spider that kept putting a web in our, outside of our front door where we lived at the time, and I always said he was trying to catch me. And, and then, so it was, I, it's, I, it's probably been unintentional, but, uh-huh. you know, I mean, I, we all draw from our experiences, and I think that's what makes, you know, when people relate to something, it's, it's those kinds of things that make people kind of, music is about communing you know and so i think you're translating those those ideas and you can get a message across to someone in that way whether it be through innuendo or through you know a parallel idea or or you know you know come come up with metaphors about different parts of life I, i i'm obsessed with the idea of life and death and and memories and and I mean, seconds is literally about that. And, you know, these seconds that click by, it's just such a wild thing, you know, and it happens once and a lot, m- most of them are taken for granted. So the whole album itself, I think, is a, is a, maybe a journey through that psyche or, or that kind of, that um, ever present thing that is in all of us that, that we're, we're constantly thinking about life and death and, and the progression of, who we are from this point to this point, you know, yes. that's much more grown up than, uh, you know, those, and I guess maybe an extension, you know, your adult extension of those childhood themes, you know, lyrically that, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, it's never been an intentional thing. It just gets somehow comes through. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really ever try to force to write about something. I just kind of let it, I, I think songs write themselves if you let them. So I guess this is where they, decided to go <laughs> yeah, sure sure great yeah. so uh we're looking forward to the show on yes, Jan- july 22nd so. and uh it's the local palooza two event here at the salisbury and, center and, and jimmy i'm going to hit you up for it now like put you on the spot in this way so it's it's a long day that day which is great like 12 acts are coming in that day it's the is in the spirit of that hf festival a local palooza you know and the Lollapalooza, you know kind of you know piece 
So, um, yeah. you know, Kevin and I'll be here through the day. If we can catch you that day and talk a little more in the studio, um, you know, you have the time for that where I'm, we'll, you know, we'll hit you up for that that day and talk to you a little bit more. Oh, cool. Are you guys going to be on site doing the Duke broadcasting on site? Yep. Yes, we that's, are. Yes. That's where we're at right now. So mm-hmm. our studio is in the Salisbury Center. It's up, up oh, on the cool. second level. Yeah, mm-hmm. down- We've got a nice little couch here. And, yeah. and so, yeah. A little couch time. Yep. So we try and talk well, to the we'll bands. Some of the other guys. Yes, love to have the whole band yep, up. Absolutely, yeah, yep. love that. That'd be a ton of fun. Sounds good. All right, awesome. Well, thanks for giving us a little bit of your time today. Like I said, we're looking forward to the show. It's on July twenty second here at the Salisbury Center, local Palooza number two. Thanks, Jimmy. Uh, yeah, thanks, Jimmy. Appreciate you guys. All right on. <laughs> Peace. Peace.